everybody. Yay, we're excited to be here. Welcome back to our podcast, Two Yoke Girls. And uh, we're here to talk today about uh, integration or the beginning of our class. And so we started talking, Lorraine and I, and, and doing some planning on a posture clinic that we're having tomorrow, us and all the lead teachers at uh, the studio. And it got us talking and loving and thinking about why we start class the way we start class and figured everybody wants to know. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I think that it's something that most people know about, but we don't really explicitly explain it. We don't talk about it too much, but it's the magic behind yoga. And I think one of the reasons you leave a yoga class feeling so good is that In the beginning of our classes, we think about how the body moves and we emphasize working the lines of the body. So the front line, you kind of see that in a back bend. The back line, you might see it kind of in a fold. You'll see it in cat and cow. That's the front and the back, those two movements. And then we add in the sidelines, right? Like an extended mountain pose with a side body stretch. And then we do the spiral lines. Um, which get the middle of the back or the thoracic spine moving. And so that simple little equation of using lines of the body can you leave you feeling a lot better, even if you've taken a long road trip or you're sitting at your desk. Super simple, really quick, feel good kind of return on investment when it comes to movement. And Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. No? Yeah, so if you think about um, why you're starting a class the way you're starting it and from a teaching perspective, when you first start teaching, you're usually starting class the way that your teacher trainer taught you how to start a class. And, um, you know, that could be, or it used to be a lot of like, we would start in forward fold or right in down dog or even in child's pose. And so the, the integration or, you know, how we start class at LPY, which is typically on your back to start, um, and then come up to a seat hits all of those lines of the body. And so for people who are listening here, who are in class a lot, that's like, um, you know, those, those crescent moons, the half side bending or the, um, spiral line usually was the one that's most confusing to people. You'll see that when, um, like in thread the needle or when you're sitting and you have, um, what your, opposite hand on your opposite knee and your other hand behind you and you do a twist. This is a podcast, so it's hard. <laughs> Lorraine can see me, but nobody else here can. Um, and so all these postures that you're seeing in the beginning of class are there, right? For a reason, it's different than spinning or running like you brought up before. Yes. Where you're working kind of just in one plane of motion. Yep. And usually it's that front and backside body. Mm-hmm yoga feels so good to you. And the postures even do this as well, Mm -hmm. because it's using all of those, the sideline, spiral line, front and back of the body. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to constructive rest, which is how we love to start, it's a great equalizer. If you think about creating a movement class that is accessible, being able to lay down and just arrive without having to do this over analyzing that happens when you try and organize your body in a certain posture, that's taken out of an equation so that your brain and your body just find each other really naturally. And 
the world is so busy. You've just done a million things to try and get to a yoga class. I think that that gives us all the room to really arrive well, lay down and notice what you feel. And there's enough support. The ground is a prop there instead of trying to get a block and get it in your, you know, wherever the, just a natural press that can get your spine aligned. And then we play with moving things like the hips and the pelvis and kind of getting some room to get good at aligning without too much effort. And then when we do the lines of the body from there, it almost feels like we've cleared space to notice and then to build, which yeah. is, I like to do. I love the concept of uh, giving yourself the ability to connect your mind and body with, with less interference. And I think yeah. for some people, you can just pop right into a child's pose and you don't quote unquote, feel anything in your body. But for a lot of people with tight hips, the lifestyle we live now, tight hips are so common. Um, or tight achy shoulders. Knees. Yes. Achy knees, tight shoulders, all these things. If you put anybody in a posture that is anything kind of other than constructive rest, typically parts of their body will start talking to them and it's a distraction, right? And so, which is oftentimes why we tell people even in Shavasana at the end of class to take that same position because you're looking for a place where your mind and body can meet back up again and constructive rest gives you that. And then as a teacher, we're trying very sneakily to, to fit in there lessons about kind of your, your neutral spine Mm -hmm. with that pelvis tilting or, you know, movements from your shoulders because the ground is there to support you. And so once you've arrived, then there's kind of the start of those movements that are meant to teach you about posture that leads up to essentially mountain pose. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, It's also a really good lesson in less is more. This idea, I think a lot of times we're sold that the more you do, the faster, the quicker, the harder, the more intense, the bigger the benefit. And I think that in constructive rest, it really drives home for me the idea that less has more benefit. So instead of me trying to organize, to do, to force, you know, it's those moments when you're like, oh, I'm so exhausted. I have to go for a run. Mm. It takes that weird mental gymnastics out of it. And it's like, oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm just going to land for a moment. It's okay to be exhausted. Like life is exhausting. Mm. And so constructive rest gives this bigger blanket of permission. And it lets you realize and remember it's okay. You don't have to always be fighting or doing or organizing. And so when you let go of that a little bit, my resistance goes away. And then I feel like, oh, I'm a little exhausted, but I'm still going to move. I'm going to take it steady and slow and keep listening instead of being like mad that I'm exhausted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I used to find that, um, back in the old way of starting class, I wouldn't get to that point of less resistance. So I had to talk myself into getting to class. I had to talk myself to rolling my mat out to being there. But it was when, um, if you remember, like we would do, we would do a few postures or a few suns, and then we would stop and pause. And we would do a couple breaths to start class. Typically, Um, it was at that point where like I was, had moved a little and was able to to connect my brain and my body, to be able to let resistance down, 
to actually enjoy the rest of the class. Um, and I think constructive rest does that. I think it's a really, it's just this magical superpower of a pose. Yeah, I hope so. I think that it gives us some room to do that. And then there still might be some fighting or some resistance in there, but they're okay. It, it reminds me a little bit of equanimity. It's okay. It's not bad. You know, it's just kind of noticing. And, and the other thing in the beginning of class, if we're getting back to that, I think sometimes constructive rest and working with the lines of the body can show us the asymmetries that we're working with. Um, so how maybe one side of your body when you're resting or waiting in line might hold more weight than the other, or it's easier to twist one way versus the other. Those things, again, they're not bad, but they can be really interesting if you are used to doing repetitive movement, or if you're looking to create more balance on the right versus the left um, and get efficient in the way that you move if you're a runner or a swimmer or a cyclist, all of those things are pretty asymmetrical. One side does one thing while the other side is doing another. And I think yoga can be a great way to get both sides using similar amounts of strength balance and flexibility and even mobility so that whether you're an athlete, I think we're all athletes in life. Um, you get to figure out a way that your body feels best so that when you put your head on the pillow at night, it feels like, oh, both sides can rest in a way that feels even and equal. Even if you don't sleep on your back, you know, you sleep on one side, there are always going to be these asymmetries. Even if you think about breathing, one nostrils breathing while the other is kind of taking a break. So they're really cool ways to look at how our bodies work and function um, and try and get really good at balancing as much as we can, you know, through yeah, yoga, well, through especially when you're taking bigger, stronger, more efforted <laughs> postures, right? Mm. It's interesting and helpful to know kind of what your asymmetry is in your body so that you can get back, you know, just like we're always trying to strike that balance in life, striking the balance of your physical posture will help you to feel physically better. Um, and so that's, I think what the integration does is it kind of gives you a chance to notice. And I think one of the things that's missing a lot in our lives is that idea of play. And so you get to play a little bit like it doesn't always have to be exact in movement and in yoga. You get to play like what does it feel like on one side versus the other? Can you enjoy the loss of balance and the shifting and the changing? I think kids are really good at letting themselves lose balance or they love to spin around and get dizzy and lose their balance. They kind of embrace that idea that things shift and change and kind of feel off or weird um, a lot more than adults do. And I think that in class, I like to think about, can you just play with balance? Cause it's going to play with you. Um, it's not always something you can stick or land or be rigid with. So that lightness that's missing when we're stressed and worried, I think it's a nice way to bring it back um, and to let us as adults have some room where it's just for the sake of doing or trying or noticing. Yeah, you talk a lot about curiosity um, mm. in being curious in life, being curious on your mat. And I think it's a great way to shift people's um, perspective on like judging what, mm. the, what the practice looks like to a curiosity of what the practice gives or takes um, or how it ebbs and flows because we know that, you know, there is no perfect posture. People get that, right? That yoga is a practice of the lifelong type. And so 
turning your attention to curiosity allows for this bigger space for the practice mm. um, because it's always going to change, right? And yep. and let's always be curious about why this feels this way today and and not this way the next day. It it makes it a lifelong practice instead of just the the same old uh, trying to attain something. Mm. I think my favorite people have helped me remember how fun it can be to laugh at myself. It's not something that came natural ever. Oh my God, you did that laughter yoga. Uh, Oh God, so embarrassingly wonderful, (laughs) but embarrassing. Um, But I think really it wasn't something, I was a really serious student, really serious kid, easily carry the weight of the world um, in this way that feels sort of heavy. And I think that I was not quick to laugh at myself. And so through more and more letting things get easier, not taking it all so seriously, not having to be perfect. You know, I think sometimes there's a push toward that when you strive or achieve. I think we see it a lot. Um, But some of my favorite people are so good at laughing at themselves and reminding me of how freeing it can be to just laugh at yourself. And then suddenly the pressure's off and we get to go back to a space where you can't get it wrong. I say that a lot in my class because I think sometimes with cueing and with postures, there's a right and a wrong in yep. the way that we perceive things. It doesn't, it's not true, but I think the brain likes black and white, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I think playing with the nuances can be challenging. Um, in the places where the studio exists, you know, I think a lot of people want to come in, get it right, and then leave. Yeah. Um, but so the space in between if you can just let it go a little bit, can be, can pay dividends in life. Yeah. Off the map. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's that time. So I'm going to cut us off. Um, I, as you were talking at the very end, there's a meme that I saw recently about perfectionism and people who strive for perfectionism and what that really is about. Like what, what kind of hole you're trying to fill when you call yourself a perfectionist or when Mm -hmm. you, you are looking for perfect. And so that, should be our next podcast yeah for the next time yeah i think that sounds good all right thanks all right. everybody for being yeah. here let me see if i can pull up our artist that brings us in and out of things let Who's me turn. also a teacher at our studio oh oh here oh, he no. is i know <laughs> there he is he's super creative we love his music and Mikey B, Mike Gorgonzano, thank you so much for being so talented, so kind, and so generous. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Bye.